0: Hebrews, beginning in the 19th verse. Feel free to read along. Follow along in a Bible you have uh, with you or one in the pews, or uh, be blessed by listening. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us, through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from any an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Father God, thank you that as uh, Steve sang in his song and as we read here in God's word that, that because of your sacrifice on the cross, one of the many blessings is that we can approach the king of the universe in an intimate conversation. We can be honest with him. We can be sincere with him. We can show him all the skeletons in our closet, we can show him all our hurts and, and our habits and hang-ups, Lord, and get healing from him. Um, and, and, Lord, we can have faith in him. The fact that as that many promises of, an, of eternal life with him, of a power to overcome the world, that all of those promises are true. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you in music and the reading of your word and the preaching of the same. Um, thank you for Steve, Lord, that uh, he loves your word. And, uh, and, and Lord, he loves you and he loves us. I pray that you'd put in his mind and on his heart what you would have him teach us and give us ears to hear so that we can take to heart um, what, we, uh, what we hear.
1: In your name we pray, amen. I admit it's a little selfish doing a uh, special when you're preaching too, but I thought it was a, <laughs> a song that was very special to the what we're looking at today. Um, our sermon today is about the high priest Jesus Christ, our, high, our great high priest. And the last couple of sermons I did were on the uh, jobs that Jesus has done, his resume, and one of those was the high priest. But there's so much, we just covered just a little bit as we went through that, and there's so much to his work as high priest for us that I felt like I wanted to do a whole sermon on that. And so we're going to look at the book of Hebrews today. Um, Actually, chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, there are four whole chapters in the book of Hebrews that talk about Jesus Christ as our high priest and all the things that he does for us as our great high priest. And the word, I don't know how many times it's in that, I looked up last night, the word better is used 12 times in the book of Hebrews as he's talking about Jesus, how he is better, he is greater, he is the high priest, greater than anything that was before him and the Jews the high priest that they had, he he takes in this book comparing all of them and the differences in the ministry they had and the way they ministered and the type of people they were, the character that they had versus Jesus Christ and his character and, and the things that he did as high priest. So he goes into a lot of great detail of what these priestly duties were. It was written to Jews, obviously. The book Hebrews was written to Hebrews. And because they were so familiar with the Old Testament, he could take all of the Old Testament types and pictures that God had put in there and explain how Jesus Christ fulfilled each one of those. It reminds me of when Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, if you recall, he was walking on the road to Emmaus. And two people were walking along and all of a sudden Jesus joined them and they were talking about all the things that had happened, how Jesus had been crucified and how horrible it was and they didn't know what was going to happen to them now and stuff. And Jesus asked them what they were so upset about and they explained. And then it says he started from Moses and went through the whole Old Testament, the prophets, explaining to them how the Messiah must suffer and how he must die So he was just giving him his whole story. He just started in in with Moses and said, This is what was supposed to happen, and this is how this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, a type, we're going to get into this a little bit. A type is a divinely placed illustration of a truth. Give you some examples. The Passover lamb, it had to be a pure, perfect lamb. That was sacrificed, and as you recall, the Jews had to take the blood and put it on the doorpost on the top and the bottom in the shape of a cross. It was pointed to the fact that one day Jesus Christ would come, the Lamb of God, who would die for the sins of Israel and give them safety, give them redemption. Um, you recall the brass serpent, and Jesus even used this one, and, and when the Jews were in the wilderness wandering, they were attacked by these serpents. And when they got bit, they would die. And so there was a great, you know, everybody's screaming. They don't know what to do. God told Moses he made a serpent made out of brass and he put it up on a pole. And he said, whoever looks up in the, at that serpent and believes will be healed and they won't die. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he said, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness... I'm going to be lifted up too on a cross. And everyone who looks and believes to that will be saved. A type. The last one I thought of is Abraham. When you remember he was going to sacrifice his son. So he takes Isaac with him, who was probably a teenager at the time. Carrying the wood, carrying the fire. They're going to the, to the altar. And his son looks and he says, Dad, we got some wood and we got a fire. What, what are we going to do about a sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God sent his own son to die for us. So in the Old Testament, there were types that represented what Jesus would be and how he would serve as the different things that he did for us as our Savior, our high priest, And so those types are explained in Hebrews as he goes through, and we're going to look at some of those today. Um, When God first called Israel to be his people, he gave them a system of law, of, of guidelines to live by. It was called the law. They had the Ten Commandments, and they had thousands of other laws and regulations they had to live by. For them to understand What had to be done and what those laws meant, God gave them priests. Those priests were designed to interpret the law and to help to make the sacrifices for the people, to be their mediator between God and man. And the first one was Aaron. He was the mediator that God chose and sanctified him and his sons after him. Um. Every priest after Aaron that came into being in Israel was a direct descendant of Aaron. And only the sons of Aaron could be priests. No one else was allowed. Now, God in the New Testament created a new covenant. And in that covenant, he's given a new system that we're supposed to live by. And that one's called grace. (laughs) It's much better than the old one. The law, you had to live by yourself. You'd had to just grit your teeth and try and live whatever it was. And the only alternative you had was sacrifices had to be made for your sins. You had to depend on the sacrifice of, the blood of a blood of, of a lamb or a goat to cover your sins. Cover them was the word that was used. Didn't take them away, but it covered them. In the New Testament, we're living by grace. We don't have to do it under our own power. God puts his spirit inside of us. We don't have to depend on a sacrifice. We have to bring and put on an altar. Jesus Christ was that perfect sacrifice put on the cross once and for all. So grace is a much greater system that we're living under. Jesus is the great high priest in that system. The Bible says he. there's only one mediator between God and man... The Man Christ Jesus. Well, Jesus was after a priestly order too, but it wasn't the ironic priesthood. Jesus was not a great, direct descendant of Levi and of Aaron. Jesus was, it says in Hebrews, after the order of Melchizedek. How many of y'all ever heard of Melchizedek? Okay, good. It's not a not a a, a, a a guy that comes up very often in scriptures, in the Old Testament, there's literally only two verses that talk about Melchizedek. Two verses in the whole of the Old Testament. Well, I take that back. Psalm 110 has it too. So we'll look at that. But if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, we'll look at Melchizedek real quick. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 to 20. So the background of this is Abraham and Lot have come to the promised land. They had a falling out because they had so many cattle and everything else to take care of. They couldn't be in the same spot. They were overriding it. So Lot went to another place. He went to Sodom and Sodom and Gomorrah to live there. And Abraham lived in his place. So the king's who were in that district, came and decided they were mad at Sodom and took it captive. And they took everybody who was there, all the women, all the children, Lot, all of their goods, and hauled them off as loot and started back to their kingdom. Well, Abraham hears about this, so he's got to go save his uh, cousin, I believe, or nephew, nephew, Lot. So he takes all of his servants And he goes after Lot and he catches up with the bad guys, the bad kings. And he defeats them. And he takes all the loot back from them so that Lot and his families and everybody can go back to Sodom. Well, all of a sudden, after this has happened, somebody shows up in the middle of all this. Out of nowhere. Verse 18. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abraham, and of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek apparently was a king. We'll find out as we look in Hebrews his name means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem, which means king of peace. And he was a priest of the Most High God. We've got to wonder, where is this? Where's somebody come from out of nowhere that's a priest of the Most High God? Well, Noah was the one righteous man who came out of the flood. And his sons would have populated the earth, and they would have still followed God. He made an altar and started sacrificing to God as soon as he got out of the ark. I don't know if you're aware of this. If you look at the genealogies, Abraham was 85 years old when Noah died. Pretty close together, huh? You think he didn't hear the stories? You think he didn't see what was going on? You think the whole world back then didn't hear and tell stories of Noah and everybody maybe come to see him? Maybe this priest came from one of the lineage of, had to have come from the lineage of Noah and was aware of what God had done and of who the great high priest, who the great God, the the God of all the earth, the true God was. And he was a priest to the Most High God. So he came and blessed Abraham at that time. There's one other section that talks about this and it talks about Jesus being named to the priesthood of Melchizedek and that's found in Psalm 110. So if you want to turn to Psalm 110 real quick, we'll look too at, Melchizedek, and how Jesus is after the priesthood of Melchizedek. It's a short psalm, so I'll read the whole thing real quick. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, this is a messianic psalm, God saying to Jesus Christ, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Talking about Jesus becoming the Messiah and ruling on the earth your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning you shall you have the dew of your youth the lord has sworn and will not repent this is god's swearing or an oath that jesus will be the great high priest you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek the Lord is at your right hand. He will execute kings in the day of His wrath. He'll judge among the nations. He'll fill the places with dead bodies. Execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink the brook by the wayside. Therefore, He shall lift up His head. So, in the midst of Psalms, it's the only Psalm that we know of and the only other place in the Old Testament that it talks about Melchizedek. All of a sudden, not only is He a priest to the Most High God, who kind of appears out of nowhere, and blesses Abraham. But now, according to David, God has taken His Messiah, Jesus, and made Him a priest, a great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. So we're going to find out when we look in the book of Hebrews, starting in verse chapter 7, why God chose Melchizedek, why He used that type and that person to represent Jesus and give Him that priesthood, not after the Aaronic priesthood, after the priesthood of the law, but after the priest of the Most High God. So Melchizedek, according to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, he's going to tell us why God chose Melchizedek and what kind of type he is of of the high priest. This Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who made Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom this priest, also Abraham, gave a tenth part of everything. First translated, his name means king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Now the reason that God chose Melchizedek is in the next verse, the type that he made him. He's without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So that doesn't mean that Melchizedek didn't have a father and a mother, and it doesn't mean that he lived forever. It means that God chose someone and brought him on the scene and told us nothing about him. He didn't show that he had a father and a mother to show where his genealogy had come from. And so he could become a priest that, as a type, has no beginning, no ending. He comes on the scene from nowhere, and he never stops. He doesn't have this lineage that goes way back. Jesus is made a priest after the order of Melchizedek by an oath. Chosen by God specifically for that. So that's why God chose to bring one man, one priest, Melchizedek, out of nowhere in the middle of all this to be a type, to be a picture of who he would bring later on, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That he would be a high priest, a great high priest, after that same order, the order of Melchizedek. So now he starts to look at the difference in the Aaronic priesthood and why they are inferior to Jesus as the Melchizedekan priesthood. Start in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Actually, verse 4. As he describes the Aaron's priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, he says, No man takes this honor to himself, but he was called to, just as Aaron was called. And if you go back in the Old Testament, when God decided to give the law and make the priesthood, he chose Aaron, and he consecrated him, and he said, from now on, all of your sons will become priests after you. But Jesus, verses 5 and 6, in comparison to the Aaron priesthood, says, Christ did not glorify himself to be made a great high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As it also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus was chosen by God, not just the way Aaron was, even beyond that. He was given by an oath. And he wasn't just a man that God chose to be the priest and to start the priest lineage. He was a son that God begot and allowed to become the great high priest that Jesus is. Chapter 7 verse 23 he talks about the ironic priesthood. There were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. I don't know about you, but at different times in my life I've had people that I depended on who either left moved away, stopped, I'm thinking of doctors, dentists, people, they cha- they retire, they die. You got to go looking for a new one, you know how hard that is to try and find somebody that 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 you like, that you care about. Imagine you're a Jew and you've got a priest who you've known all your life and he's been making your sacrifices for you. He's circumcised your sons. He has been there when family members have died and all of a sudden he's gone. He dies. And now some new kid, some whippersnapper comes out of nowhere and he's your new priest. What do you know about him? Nothing. How do you feel? That'd be hard to start all over again with somebody. And that was the tragedy of the ironic priesthood. They just had to have new priests time and time again. Every son would be born and die and a new priest would take his place. But the high priest we have, is not like that. We don't have to break a new high priest in every few years because of something happening. Our priest is different. Verses 24 and 25. But he, our high priest, Jesus Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost or to the very end, to the finish. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You don't have to worry that some priest is going to forget who you are. You know, you get to heaven and say, uh, uh, you remember me, don't you? I don't know. Who, I, no, 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 no. Our high priest that's in heaven for us, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's going to see our salvation through from the very inception, When he calls us to himself, when he saves us, when he redeems us, all the way to one day, he makes us like himself and he gives us a new body and he lets us live in his very presence. He's going to see us through to the uttermost. That's the difference in the priesthood of the Aaron and the priesthood of Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. Look in chapter 8, verses 5, talks about the Aaronic priesthood. It says that they served the copy and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For God said to him, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. If you've ever studied the tabernacle, it was not really a very impressive thing. It was a tent. It was covered with different covers of lamb's wool and goat's hair and seal skins. And it was made out of wood covered with gold. And even the temple, I mean, it was a a pretty nice temple that they built. But the tabernacle was just an image, an image of what God had in heaven. We don't understand. I don't know what the tabernacle is like in heaven, but it says there's a tabernacle there. And Moses made this one as just a shadow, a, a little bit of what the real one is. And so they're serving in just a copy, a cheap copy. But Jesus is seated on the throne at the real tabernacle. He, he went into the very presence of God in the real tabernacle where the true mercy seat is for us. And he serves as our high priest there in the true tabernacle, not in a copy that's somewhere. Verse 7 says, talks about the covenant that God has made, the, the law and the priesthood that accompanied that. The first, If that first covenant had been faultless, there'd been no reason to make a second one. But verse 6 of Jesus says, we've obtained a more excellent ministry. He's the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. It goes back to the law versus grace. The law was dependent on yearly sacrifices, again and again reminding you of your sins that were just covered, never taken away, versus the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross that took care of our sins forever. Not only that, but makes us righteous, as righteous as He is to be able to stand before God. That's the difference in the covenant, that Jesus represents the grace versus the covenant that the Aaronic priesthood represented in the law. Chapter 10, he talks about the access that the priesthood had to God. Um, Actually, look at chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, as far as the Aaronic priesthood. When these things had been prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing services. They would go in and change the showbread. They would trim the wicks on the candlestick. They would light incense on the incense altar. But that was as far as the normal priest went. But the second part, the high priest went alone once a year not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. So you got a priest, the normal priests, they would cast lots and one time a year one would be named the the high priest. One time a year on the Day of Atonement, a sacrifice would be made And that priest would take blood from the goat. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the sins of Israel would be covered for that year. One man, one time a year. Doesn't seem like much of an access to God, does it? People certainly didn't see any of that. Not only that, you'll find this fascinating. When the priestly garments were given by God, they put little bells on the bottom of the great high priest's robes. You know why? So they could hear him when he was in the, in the Holy of Holies that he was still moving around, that he hadn't done something wrong and that God hadn't struck him dead in the Holy of Holies. And they used to tie a rope around his leg so they could pull him out if something happened. I don't know that I would want to get the lot on that. <laughs> I don't know that's such a privilege to get that lot. But it was, to go into the high priest. But think of that. One man, one time a year, in, in total fear, thinking that he's actually, that, for that one man, he could actually open that, that veil and step through and see the Holy of Holies and see the altar and sprinkle the blood and come back out. But nobody else got to go. Nobody else got to see. No one else had access to God, but only Him. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. This is what part of what Jeff read this morning. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us, through the veil, that is, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You realize that because of the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed, you can come into the Holy of Holies any time you want think of that. We can come into the presence of God and Jesus Christ 24 7 and the only reason we can do that is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have no righteousness on our own. No right to go there. But our great high priest made a sacrifice that tore the temple veil from top to bottom and said you may come in Because of our great high priest, we have access to the very presence of God. Then how about the sacrifices that they bring? That's the last thing I want to talk about is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Let's talk about the priests. It says, every priest stands ministering daily. And offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The priests, on the days that sacrifices were made, which was, you know, pretty much all the time, were covered with blood all the time. They had to kill animals and make those sacrifices and put the, 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 the those pieces on the altar and burn them, and constantly, 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 just covered in blood, a reminder that we have to keep making these sacrifices again and again to try and cover up these sins just for a little while, just so we can have a little peace. But their consciences were never clean. Every time you make that sacrifice, you're reminded, I did that again, again and again. It It never took those sins away, it just covered them up for a little while. But, (laughs) look at the next verse, verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. If you look at the furniture that was in the tabernacle, there's one piece of furniture you won't find. Anybody know what it is? A chair. Why? Work was never done. You never get to sat down. If you sat down, it meant I'm done. Everything's done. You were never done. Sacrifices had to always be made. Everything had to continually be changed and done again and again. But this man (laughs) sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished. The sacrifice was done. It was complete. It was sufficient. No sacrifices had to be made again. No blood has to ever be placed on the the mercy seat again. It's been done once and for all. Jesus Christ paid the price. Those sacrifices they made, that blood that they shed constantly again and again, it it never did it. But this man forever sat down, the sacrifice was perfect. That's the high priest we got. I sure am glad I don't have the other one because he couldn't do anything for me. I'd have to be constantly coming to him and bringing sacrifices to pay for all these sins that I commit, knowing that all it's doing is just putting a, a blanket over it, sweeping it under the rug, covering it for a while. All I could do was look in faith that someday a sacrifice would be made that could really take those sins away. That's what all those sacrifices pointed to. They all pointed to a coming Messiah, a great high priest who would make the ultimate sacrifice for sins that would be paid for forever. And that was Jesus Christ Christ. And that's the whole reason that the author wrote this book of Hebrews to these people. Look, you remember that Passover lamb? Look, here he is. You remember that sacrifice that was made for your sins? Here he is. You see that veil? And what it told you? It said, you're unworthy. You can't come in. You've got no right to see God. Look what, rip right down the middle, what that meant. You have a high priest who says, come in, to the very presence of God with me. Who makes atonement for us, who stands and every time Satan accuses us, says, I paid for that. That's the great high priest we have. This is from uh, Hebrews 5. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but is was in all points tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can't come to Jesus, our great high priest, and say, You don't understand what I'm going through. You can't. He was there. He did it. He suffered through every temptation, every disappointment, Every tragedy, every struggle, and understands perfectly and can empathize perfectly with us. That's the high priest we come to. Let's pray. Father, we cannot praise you enough that you sent your son, that he became our high priest. That you tore that veil right down the middle. That you invite us to come into your presence constantly. That we have a high priest who understands everything about us. And can comfort us and meet our needs. And who still loves us despite all of that. Help us to avail ourselves of that anchor within the veil, to to recognize how often we should be in your presence because you beckon us there. You desire for us to be there. Help us to long to be there and to enjoy every second we have there. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.